0: Um, My name is Matt. For uh, those of you who I haven't met yet, um, I'm one of the leaders here, Um, and really I was kind of reflecting on that. I say that every week. I'm one of the the leaders here, Um, but really we have a a view as a church that we're all um, equal, and maybe that kind of goes without saying, but we all have kind of distinct um, personhoods, distinct personalities, and distinct callings from God. Um, and sort of part of my unique calling is to be part of the, the teaching team here and to teach. Um, but really, I think as a global church, we need to kind of recapture the mentality um, that we, we all have um, callings equally important from God and that we're all meant to participate in this living organism that we call uh, the church. Uh, But anyhow, um, we have a a great teaching ahead of us today. If you were with us um, last week, we had a wonderful Easter celebration, celebrating the resurrection. We had our first baptisms here as a church, which was um, very exciting. And overall, it was just an an amazing day. And then uh, at the end of the day, I accidentally deleted the podcast. Um, So if you weren't here, uh, sorry, you weren't here. Um, But anyhow, as the last two weeks as a church, we were celebrating um, Palm Sunday. If you're here two weeks ago, last week was Easter. Today, we are getting back into our series on the Sermon on the Mount. So if you have a Bible or an app or whatever you use, go ahead and um, turn with me in your Bibles to um, Matthew 6, verse 25. And we'll go ahead uh, and get started there In a moment, Um, and while you're turning there, I'm just going to pray one more time um, for the teaching. So Jesus, um, as we um, open up the Bible, um, it's actually kind of a miracle to me that we actually have your words. You intended us to have um, the very words that you spoke on on a hillside thousands of years ago, which um, were recorded and have powerfully shaped the course of world history. And so as we look backward over um, the the millennia since these words were spoken, we actually see that the world is literally a different place because of this single sermon. Um, And and we don't want the rippling effect of these words to somehow remain in history. We actually want to be caught up in your story, Jesus. We want to be formed and shaped by your words. And I believe you intended us to be set free by them. And so would we allow these words as a community um, to set us free? this morning as we read them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, by way of reminder, we are nearing the end of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And in this section of the sermon, uh, Jesus is essentially warning his disciples uh, about different things which uh, threaten life with God, which threaten the emergence of his new kingdom among them, and which ultimately could threaten their participation in God's future kingdom when it comes in full. And so he's saying, hey, you're, you're my followers And I want you to know what life is meant to be like in God. And I also want to warn you about some of the things that can kind of smother life with God or derail your walk with me. Today, we tackle one of those subjects, which is worry. And we pick up in verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. To operate in the kingdom, he gives them a simple and profound instruction. Do not worry about the things of this world, what you will eat and what you will wear. And in a single sentence, Jesus sums up with simplicity what might take us a lifetime to master. Something so simple, so enjoyable, in fact, so freeing, And yet for most of us, this straightforward invitation feels tantalizingly beyond our reach. In a single moment, Jesus challenges what for many of us has become a way of life and a deeply ingrained habit. It seems that we were born into this world with a, with a whole host of very real needs and desires. And in a fallen world, our overwhelming tendency and, and propensity is to then think and stew and worry about how those needs are going to be met. And, and life is full of opportunities to worry, is it not? Not. We, we've been given actually hardwired, God-given practical needs that must be met in order for us to thrive or even to survive in the world. That much is clear. But the question becomes, what do we do with our most basic needs for food and shelter and clothing and, and security? The most popular option of our day is to worry. And and worrying, for the record, it's different than thinking. It's different than planning or considering. To worry is to allow your mind to become preoccupied with something, potentially even obsessed with something, a need that that needs to be met. And and it creates this, this driving anxiety that emanates and echoes out of the focus of our thoughts. It is rooted in fear. And worry and anxiety are a battle that is either won or lost in the mind. The human brain thinks 50,000 thoughts a day, some of them conscious that you're aware of, many of them unconscious, kind of below the surface. But there is a natural principle of thought life that whatever you choose to think about, whatever you dwell on, whatever you meditate on, whatever you focus the channel of your thoughts on, tends to expand in your mind. It it, it actually has this tremendous effect on the rest of your life. In fact, it may come to define you. Dale Carnegie, when speaking on the power of thoughts, um, said it this way. He said, It isn't what you have or don't have, or who you are, or where you are, or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about. Now, to be clear, our goal as disciples in life is not happiness, contrary to popular belief. But the point is that your thought life has the tremendous ability to shape all of your life and comes to define and color your life experience. And if your mind is fixated on what Jesus would call the things of this world, your God-given uh, desires and needs, chances are, as you worry about those things, you're actually pouring anxious thoughts down into the well of your soul. And, and over time, it should not be surprising that that what comes bubbling back up out of that well is fear and anxiety, and and panic, and and all of those anxious emotions. An overwhelming sense that, that, that everything is about to go wrong, and that your survival is at stake, and it's all up to you. And every time you think those thoughts, or any thoughts really, what you're doing is you're training your brain uh, to think and act in a certain way. You, you are literally forming and, and rewiring your brain, charting new pathways of, of synapses through your brain. And if you could imagine um, your brain as kind of this uh, a lump of clay, which maybe for some of you hits close to home. But, but just imagine that it's a lump of clay, right? And then you choose to think a certain series of thoughts. And as you choose to think those, those series of thoughts, what you're doing essentially is taking a, an instrument and gently jagging, dragging it through the clay, form it, forming a new pathway. Uh, the problem is that the next time that you go to think a thought, the most natural place for your thoughts to go is going to be right back through that same channel that was carved. Or, if you imagine that you were to to pour water over this slab of clay, the water would most naturally flow through those channels. Your your thoughts, the way your brain works, is remarkably similar. We could say similar things about it. So so the more that you worry, uh, the more your mind dwells on your anxieties, the deeper those channels get carved in your brain. the the more frequently you begin to use those pathways and the more embedded the habit becomes. This is why um, some of you in the room today don't struggle with anxiety at all because you haven't become accustomed to thinking in this way, right? You you haven't started carving those channels yet. And, And there's like two of you in the room today who don't struggle with anxiety. And don't raise your hands. It's only going to make the rest of us mad. And you're holier than us. I get it. Okay, whatever. But the principle, this principle of your thought life is one of the reasons why breaking the habit of lustful thinking, it, it can feel difficult to impossible because you've carved those channels in your mind. And, and now it's the most natural place for water to flow. Your your undirected thoughts tend to just drift back into those same channels. This is the same reason why some of us in the room are consumed by worry and anxiety uh, to the point that we've forgotten what life is like without it. Worry and anxiety have become our our constant companions. And if we aren't careful, it, it will consume us, potentially for decades it can consume you and and it's crippling when it comes in full it's absolutely crippling we have this saying i'm sure you've heard it you, you can't teach an old dog new tricks and why, why is that i mean it's not because the the dog is literally old uh, or because it's lazy or it has bad hips or whatever it's <laughs> It's because as a dog gets older, it forms deeply ingrained habits of thinking. Its channels are like the Grand Canyon in its mind. And so then to then use a new pathway and think in a different way becomes increasingly difficult with age. And the same thing happens to us. The problem is when we really step back, the problem is that you and I were never intended to think anxious thoughts in the first place. We were never intended to carve that channel in our minds. The true design for humanity is life in God and life with God. I like to call it the with God life. That's what you were designed for. That's what humanity lost. That's what Jesus has come to restore. But, but that's, the, that's the place where your mind was meant to exist and function. And, and in our um, pagan lives, in our, in our atheism, as we operate separate from God, it's quite natural. It, it does feel as if life is up to us. If God doesn't exist, then, then that's probably true. Life is up to you, and, and we have these voices of fear constantly speaking over our shoulders, and we have no choice but to listen and to worry but in life with god we become reconnected to the source of all life and provision in the universe and this is the place that we were intended to operate and intended to flourish we enter into a, a whole new way of living and breathing and thinking in life with God, our needs find, find their most natural and fitting environment. And, and like a fish that's returned to water, suddenly we can, we can breathe again. We, we become rebalanced, reoriented. We, we breathe spiritual oxygen back into our lungs. At last, our whole self in Jesus is renewed and brought back into balance. And so our our sexual desire no longer runs rampant in consuming lust. And, And our physical desires no longer run rampant in consuming too much or consuming too little for the wrong reasons. And, and all of these little things start to become fine-tuned again. And, and our desires, our God-given desires for food and shelter and clothing and security at, at last find their place where they're most naturally met. Our fears are laid to rest as we learn to trust in our Heavenly Father outside of that context they are gasping for air and we are stifled by greed sexual addiction obsessive worry anxiety greed back through sermon on the mount again and again, all of these things that threaten to consume us when we're disconnected from god one of my former pastors said it this way he said worry is temporary anxiety or sorry that is not true worry is temporary atheism. I love that. Worry is when we remove ourselves from our conscious awareness of the Father. We remove ourselves from a childlike relationship based in trust and and obedience. And instead, we we slip out of uh, life with God and we begin to live this lie That God is distant and that God is uncaring and that God is essentially functionally non-existent. We might believe in some vague sense that he exists, but we're not operating as if he is who he says that he is. And instead, we slip into a different mentality altogether. And we say, this life is up to me, and if I don't worry about this, uh, and, and I don't uh, think about all the ways that this can go wrong, then it's gonna go wrong. And, and my survival is at stake. My, my ego is mixed up in this. I, I, my identity is, will become. I, I, have to, I, I have to fight tooth and nail to secure whatever it is that we're worrying about. If I don't fight for myself, no one else will. Th- that becomes our mentality. And, and anxiety ripples out of that mentality. And trust me, i'm I'm as prone um, to anxiety as anyone in the room today, uh, and perhaps more so. Growing up, my mom's here. You can ask her. I was always just very laid back, kind of um, unflappable. Nothing really bothered me. Always pretty happy, easygoing um, kid. But um, something changed when I um, got to law school around the age of 13. And no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) And 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 when I did get to law school, I was older than that. Uh, But. The law school experience um, is not really designed to get you to memorize laws or anything like that. Um, the law school experience is designed to get you to think like a lawyer. They are retraining your brain to to think and analyze in a in a whole new way, uh, and and part of what they're and I loved it. Um, the it's, it's powerful. They're kind of reshaping your brain, in, in a sense, um, but it's awesome. And I, I loved every minute of it. Um, they, they have you strung up pretty tight in, in law school, as in, like, you might need a psychiatrist kind of tight. Um, but uh, w- one of the questions that they're training you to ask and to, to view the world through this lens, in essence, is, is this question. What if... Your job as an attorney is to anticipate every single thing that could go wrong with your client's case, every argument, every counterargument, every loophole, every potential landmine, um, all of it. You're basically given a human being in a high stakes, high stress environment, and then you're told to imagine every possible way that it could go wrong. And, and what if you miss the filing deadline? And what if they countersue? And what if you're not prepared for what they throw back at you? And what if they use that contract clause to cheat your client out of their contract dues? And what if, what if, what if, what if? I began to have intense dreams, and I wasn't alone in this. I began to have intense dreams that I was in a courtroom. Some of the most vivid dreams of my life. I was in a courtroom in this high-stakes environment. And I was trying to solve some legal problem on the fly, and my mind's racing 100 miles an hour, but in that weird sense of a dream, you don't actually know what you're trying to solve. Like, I don't, I don't actually know what the issue was, but there was this general sense of panic, and I'm racing through all the possibilities and analyzing, and what about this, and, and trying to solve it. And as my mind's racing through all this, suddenly, I would, I would wake up. Wow, that was restful. And, and then I would go and, and try to do it for real. And, and you see how eventually that, that mentality began to seep into all of life. I, I, I began to have this um, general sense that the world was not a safe place. Have you ever had that sense? This, I don't know how to explain it, but the world is no longer a, a safe place. And I can, I can feel the fear i I can feel the anxiety pounding in my chest, and i I can't pinpoint why, but it's there and and I would just had this general sense of fear that came over me, and I would try and fall asleep at night. I was exhausted, I would try and fall asleep at night, and I could barely sleep, drifting in and out of sleep, this constant like sweaty like panic, the sense as if I was falling, the sense as if the walls were were closing in uh, around me and and this. Slowly over time, what if came came to dominate my existence? And and over time, this this exhaustion, this fear, this anxiety, it, it caused me to almost slip into like an alternate universe. This place that I didn't even know was possible. That's defined by worry. That's defined by fear. That's defined by anxiety. It wasn't too long before I became depressed, and uh, after enough of that, even um, suicidal, in my thinking. And just to be clear, because we're on the topic, I'm um, suicidal thoughts and depression um, are not necessarily uh, do not necessarily go with anxiety, but the two kind of go hand in hand. They're related to one another, so you can. You're perfectly capable of experiencing tons of anxiety with no depression, um, but oftentimes they they um, come together, and and all of a sudden, uh, my life was at stake, and 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 I was living in this hell, and all of it was rooted in this simple terrifying question. What if? Have you, ever, have you ever felt dominated by that question before? What if they, they, they break up with me? What if I, I, I fail this class? What if the person that I love dies? What if I graduate and I can't find a job? What if my parents get divorced? What if, what if I, the diagnosis comes back and, and it's positive? What, what if I let someone down? What if I fail? What what if I'm just not good enough? What what if I'm buried in debt for the rest of my life? What what if I don't have anything to eat? What if I don't have anything stylish to wear? What if I end up bankrupt and debt-ridden and alone and I have ugly clothes? And the two of you in the room who don't struggle with anxiety, please keep your hands down. Um, at this point, you're probably thinking, you guys are crazy. Like, wh- why would you ever think that way? Why- where does that even come from? But for I'm going to say most of us in the room, um, bits and pieces of what I'm talking about uh, are absolute reality. And it's rooted in the mind. It's rooted in our 50,000 thoughts a day. And and, and I don't think I'm alone in struggling with this. In fact, tens of millions of Americans have been diagnosed with severe anxiety, uh, making it the most prevalent of all psychiatric conditions in our country. And those are just the ones who were so severe that they've been diagnosed and then medicated for it. We are spending hundreds of billions if you can wrap your mind around that, hundreds of billions of dollars fighting this epidemic. In the, the, recent, the most recent studies that have come out, that have studied the last few decades up to this year, show that anxiety generally and anxiety-related disorders are on the rise in every age group of our population and in both genders, universally across the board, rising everywhere. In fact, the uh, fastest growing rate of new medications that are being prescribed were among the youngest age groups that have been given to children. I'm currently working in the public school system here in Spokane, and we're seeing kids five, six, seven years old having anxiety attacks and needing medication and and then more medication. What is that? Where does that come from? And there's nothing inherently wrong with medication. Quite honestly, in the state that I was in, in the second half of my law school time, I probably should have gone on medication Of at, at some point. Uh, my brother is a pharmacist. I have tremendous respect for the medical community. Uh, I'm not saying that medication is inherently wrong. I think it has a role to play. Uh, but this... This is an epidemic, and and in the midst of it, I don't think we're really willing to ask the tough questions. I, I think the toughest question that most Americans are asking is, what else do you have for me? What other drugs can you give me? What other combinations of drugs can you give me? And then can I have another drug or two to deal with the side effects of all the drugs that you gave me? before. And it, and it just goes on. And, and for most of us, honestly, it doesn't really change our thought lives. Not in any meaningful way. It might numb our thought lives. But for too many of us, whether our anxiety is buried uh, under uh, medically induced numbness, or it's, it's pounding at the forefront of our minds and dominating all of our thoughts, in either case, anxiety is still winning the day. And at the risk of um, sounding harsh, first off, I'll say this: um, I, I, I think that in the midst of this, as we pay hundreds of billions of dollars, I, I think we're actually paying that, paying that towards symptoms, and, and as a society, we're kind of unwilling to dig a little deeper to some of the root problems. And anxiety is complicated. I never want to make this sound simple. There are more factors that go into anxiety than we possibly have time to examine today. There are genetic predispositions. There are your past experiences, past memories, past abuse for some of you. There's the way that you were raised. There's the obvious life circumstances around you that contribute to this at any given time. But at the risk of sounding harsh, I I think that we've become childish and, and immature when it comes to these conversations. Because if we're being totally honest, most of us in this country are not willing to take responsibility for our own thought lives. We're not. We kind of wander from one fix to another, from one distraction to another, with this mentality of my thoughts are not my responsibility, my emotions are beyond my control, and I want someone else to just fix it. Just, f- just tell me, what else do you have for me? Just, just fix what I'm feeling. And, and in the midst of that mentality, we fall victim to the onslaught of messages, images, vices, and thoughts that war against life with God. And the scriptures, believe it or not, have something to say about all this. Here is what the scriptures have to say about it. Ecclesiastes says, um, Two medications are better than one, for if one fails, you still have plenty left in your system. <laughs> no, wait, sorry, that's, no, that's not actually what the scriptures say. The, the, the scriptures say, I don't often misquote the Bible, but I want to know if you're paying attention. Uh, what the scriptures say is take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And and we try that, most of us, for about five minutes. And and slowly, uh, our, our uh, our stream of thoughts flows back into the channel that we already spent years, if not decades, carving. And so we throw our hands up in the air. Well, that's impossible. I'm never going to change the way I think, what, whatever. And, and so we end up quitting in the very same moment that the scriptures are saying, "Fight. Fight, fight back. Fight against that, that flow. Fight back to the place of trust and dependency, in the love and grace of God. Fight for that. My wife tells me all the time when, when I slip back into that place of anxiety, she can see it on my face when I'm sitting there and just the way that I stew on things. And, and she comes and she says, hey, take it, take it captive. If you have to, you rebuke the enemy in your heart and in your mind. And, and you, you stand on the truth. Stand on the truth of scripture and the truth of who God is. You, you fight. Why? why? Why all this fighting? Why are we having this conversation today? Because just like lust, just like bitterness, just like unforgiveness, just like revenge, just like greed, worry and anxiety will consume you if you allow them to. They will absolutely dominate your life. They will become habits that are so deeply ingrained that you believe they are impossible to change. And even as you begin thinking new thoughts, the emotions, the weight of it will still be there. And, and, and some of you are asking that question, how, how, how can I possibly change the way that I think? How can I get my mind to switch from an AM frequency to an FM frequency? How, how can I do something like that? It feels impossible. And so we end up with these deeply ingrained habits. And the fruit of those thoughts is a panicked, joyless existence. Sometimes it comes with suicidal thoughts. Sometimes it's just miserable. And and there's no trust in God. And there's limited trust in others. and, and, And genuine love... And joy and peace and patience and gentleness and self-control feel like they're a million miles away. Wait a second, Matt. I think I recognize that, that list. Isn't, I think I've heard that before. Aren't those the fruit of the Spirit? Are, are you saying that the Spirit of God has something to do with all this? What do the scriptures say? It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world. Greed, lust, worry, anxiety, hatred, revenge. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see the frequency that everybody else is operating on? When you're immersed in that culture, you're naturally going to begin operating on the same frequency as everybody else. You know why? Because you've been doing it since you were born. This world is full of greed and anger and selfishness and fear and self-preservation and anxiety. And if you allow that world to shape your thinking and you focus all of your time and attention on the questions that the world is asking, what will I eat? What will I drink? What will I drive? What what will I wear? If that's your only concern in life, then your life will be filled with the fruit of that way of thinking, the fruit of the world, not the fruit of the Spirit. This is the new Living Translation um, version of that same exact passage. It says, Don't copy or mimic the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. It's not what you have. It's not who you are. It's not where you are. It's the way that you think. Then... As that transformation is happening, you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And here's the catch. These two things are going to build on each other. The more you see of God's will, the more your anxiety. When you truly see who God is and what his will is and what his heart for you is, I promise you that your anxiety is going to begin to dissipate. Maybe not overnight Maybe not 100%, but it's going to change because you will feel more at home in the universe than you have ever felt before. If you know the love and care of your Father in heaven, you will walk in greater security than any amount of money could possibly buy for you. That's the goal. Know the love of the Father. Find freedom in the spirit of Jesus among us. So as we close, just a few thoughts on how we move um, from um, the place of anxiety to that place of freedom and trust in the love of the Father. First, if you're taking notes, we ask for more of the Spirit, more of the transforming power of God. We don't transform our own minds. That's self-help. That, that's not what the Scriptures are talking about. They're saying that God is with you and that God is in the business of renewal and that God is in the business of healing. And and he's with you. He's with us right now. And and so it's, it's pointing ourselves back to, okay, God, I want to trust you and I want to trust in your provision. God's good, pleasing, and perfect will is that you would be free. That's his will. I mentioned earlier that worry and anxiety are complicated, and they are. Um, Is the the primary cause a a chemical imbalance in the brain? Is it linked through uh, traumatic past experiences? Is it a a deeply ingrained habit that maybe unknowingly you've cultivated? Is it based on the the current circumstances uh, around you? Is it based on low self-esteem? These are good questions for the medical community to be asking. And many of you are part of that community or will be when you graduate. Those are good questions to ask. By all means, ask them. But when we're gathered together as as the people of God, if you ask for prayer at the end of the gathering or in your missional community throughout the week, we ask a different question. We say, Jesus, would you come? God, would you heal And the causes might be difficult to pin down, but, but Jesus is God. That means he's God over the physical, over the emotional, God over your past abuse and your memories and your trauma. He's God over the demonic. He's God over the storm that you're in right now. He's God over all of it. And so there is a sense when it comes to prayer that that it doesn't matter if it's chemical or physical or or emotional or spiritual. God is God. And as we get into the book of Matthew, you will see Jesus healing every single one of those different types of things. I have personally seen him cure stage four cancer. And, And I think he has something to say about your anxiety as well. Jesus already did the work of reconciliation on the cross. You are a forgiven person. You are a cleansed person. And now you and I and us as a community, we get to go before the throne of God and we get to ask for really good things from our Father. So first, we ask for more of the Spirit. We ask for his kingdom to come. Second, if you're taking notes, we form a new habit. This is where you come in. We, we fight. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Every anxious thought actually gets turned on its head, flipped upside down, and turned into a prayer that pushes us into the presence of God, that fosters our intimacy with God, that deepens our relationship. Every time it comes, grab that, and I'm going to tur- bring that before God. Right now, And our relationship is going to grow deeper. And and I think you're going to start to see your thinking change as well. Um, I I struggle with a lot, a lot with anxiety. And and this second one that we're talking about, uh, the first one's almost more universal in the way that we can ask for that. The second one is actually going to be more individualized to you. And, and it just depends on how you're wired, how you think, what God wants to change in your thinking. Um, I still actually struggle a lot with anxiety. And most of the time I feel like I'm winning that that battle. Um, but I've struggled with it so much that I've, act, I've fallen in love with the words of Jesus that we're studying today. Because I really believe this is the pathway to freedom. But in, in thinking about when the anxious thoughts hit, and, and they do, trust me instead of letting my fears and anxieties just run wild until they run out of steam, instead what I do now is, is I interrupt the thoughts right in the middle of that line of thinking. I, I stop and, and I cut it off and I ask, I ask this question. I ask God a question out loud, depending on where I am. If I'm in a coffee shop, I whisper, okay? But I'm, but I'm asking this question out loud. I say, God, do I need to worry about that? God, is this this mine to worry about? God, do I even have permission from you to worry about this? And and then I literally sit and I wait. And and I put my heart and sometimes even my body in just a posture of listening. And I just try and sense what it is that God wants to say. And, And more often than not, not every time, but more often than not, I, I, as I'm waiting, I actually sense that God's saying no i I never gave you that i I never asked you to worry about that that that's not yours that's mine okay deep breath in, deep breath out It's not mine to worry about and 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 who by worrying can add a single hour to their life? That's a rhetorical question because nobody can. So we call on the spirit. We work to cultivate a new habit, form new pathways, a new way of thinking rooted in trust and awareness of God. And finally, if you're taking notes, we seek the kingdom. Sometimes we use this language, um, keep the main thing, the main thing. And if that's helpful for you, then then use that language to remind yourself. But the second that you let something else have the last word in your life and guide you, whether it's sex or money or popularity or laziness or ambition or, or power or fashion or finance or whatever it is, the wheels start to come off. But Jesus says, if you keep your eyes on him, and you seek the kingdom first, suddenly you'll find yourself with everything that you need. Wait, wait, wait. Am am I going to have food? Yeah. God feeds the birds. Surely you're more valuable than they are. They don't have meds. They're doing just fine. They just fly and trust. Wait, wait, wait. Am I, am I gonna have clothes, clothes to wear? Flowers aren't stressed. They're just, they're just doing their thing. They just grow, and God takes care of the rest. He, he wants, He wants you to do the same. He wants you to just do your thing. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else will follow. God will take care of the other stuff. You keep your eyes on the kingdom. Keep your eyes on Jesus as he walks across the water. And as you do, you will be empowered to stand in that audacious place right alongside of him. Don't, don't stare down at the waves. Don't let fear and anxiety overtake you saying, lift up your eyes, stay focused on me, stay focused on my kingdom and everything else is going to be there. If you keep your eyes on the Messiah, you will be empowered to live a whole new way of life. The way of Jesus, the way of freedom. Let's pray. Jesus, as we... um, just tackle a difficult topic today. Uh, I know that this strikes all of us in, in a different way. My guess is that all of us feel a little challenged by the words that you've spoken. My guess is all of us um, are, are, are a little intrigued by the words that you've spoken. But Jesus, you you are calling us as individuals, as couples, as families, as a community to step deeper into your freedom. And as we look around the culture, whether we're a mature enough culture to even call it out in ourselves, I don't know yet. But what we see is anxiety running rampant. And what we pray, Jesus, is that the church would be a prophetic witness to the goodness of God. That this would be a place of freedom, where, where there's no place for worry, where there's no place for anxiety. And those of us who feel absolutely stuck in it today are actually lifting our eyes up to you in, in, in order to feel unstuck. And so Jesus, in, in that simple way that we can, we say, Jesus, would you come? And Jesus, would you heal? We spent all last Sunday talking about how you're not dead, You're alive. And and, and that has implications for for what's going to happen in this room in the next couple of minutes. And so, Jesus, would you make this a a place of freedom? Uh, Whether it takes a long time or a short time, would you lead each one of us out, out of the dark pit of anxiety and depression and up into your light, up into your freedom? Jesus, would you come? Jesus, would you heal? Teach us to trust. Teach us to be like the birds of the air. Teach us to be like the flowers of the field. In fact, do more than that. Teach us to be human as you intended from the beginning. In absolute freedom. The with God life. Jesus, set us free for that purpose. In your name. Amen.